Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Joe Biden saying he's going to OPEC to get more production is a really bad look. For four years, Donald Trump was talking about energy independence, the need to do it on our own, the need to grow our own sources, the need to be able to provide for ourselves. And here's Joe Biden saying, my gosh, these gas prices have gone up over a dollar a gallon across the United States. Hey, foreign nation, won't you please give us more of this so we can be more dependent on you? Holy cow. Bad look. But he doubled it up. He doubled it up with one of the most um, inflammatory falsehoods I may have ever heard. And that's saying something in today's world. But is it is it, in an, is it a falsehood or is it a uh, selective editing? I'll let you decide. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter. At Tony Katz, it's really easy to find everything at TonyKatz.com. You can support the show there. You can get the podcast there. You can do all the things. Yeah, let's play our game. Harris-Biden administration. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. Got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go. You know the you know the thing. Say it ain't so, Joe. So we're talking gas prices, and everybody knows the gas prices have gone up tremendously since January twentieth, twenty twenty one. Everybody knows they were a dollar plus a gallon less expensive in the days of Donald Trump. And here's Joe Biden speaking to the American people from the White House. We're uh, taking action to address gas prices as well. Today, gas prices are lower than they were early in this decade, but they're still high enough to create a pinch on working families. Are you blanking kidding me? You think you can get away with this line right here? Today, gas prices are lower than they were early in this decade. Selective editing. Or is it just lying? They weren't, they're not less than they were last year at this time. You had to go back to Obama. You're so desperate not to credit Trump, you're willing to punch your former boss in the face. That's insane. But I will tell you, it has been a bad couple of days for Team Biden from the podium. Whether we're talking about the president or whether we're talking about uh, Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki, by the way, nasty. You want nasty? Uh, I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you nasty. This is Jen Psaki right here. And I have a vaccine in the next couple weeks, next couple months. And Joe Biden is out on the campaign trail saying, don't trust Donald Trump. Did that create any kind of vaccine hesitancy not that we've seen in the data i would note that at the time just for context the former president was also suggesting people inject versions of poison into their veins to cure COVID. so i think that's a relevant point no he didn't that's a lie 
It's a lie. Why is she allowed to get away with a lie? Why isn't the press on her 24-7? Well, it's an attack on Trump, and it's fun. This is why people hate the media. It's why they hate the media. It's why they don't trust CNN. And Brian Stelter sits there going, I don't know why they don't believe us. We're so honest and important. It doesn't make any sense why they don't trust us. Now, I'm okay with doing that Brian Stelter impression, right, Producer Ari? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess for now. Right? It's, it's, it might not be my best impression, but uh, I honestly, you don't know what his inner voice sounds like. I think it sounds just like that. As I envision it, I'm, that's poetic license or something. Artistic license? Whatever it is. It's how I visualize it. Trust me when I say I don't think Hamilton wore bright green, no matter what Lin-Manuel Miranda thinks. In, in, the, in the show, you'll, you know, there's a, a moment where uh, he's, you know, working on building out the Treasury Department and, and he's, you know, the whole financial system and he wears green. The whole outfit is green and that's to represent the money. I got to admit, Hamilton has a lot of that kind of, he went, he went layers. There, there's no doubt that he did. No doubt. It really, really, really good. I mean, him, not, not perfect, but... As a musical goes, man, he, he put some effort into that. Jen Psaki just lied uh, from the White House briefing room. Is anybody going to notice? Is anybody going to talk about it? How about Jen Psaki just absolutely shutting down a reporter for asking about abortion? What is the White House reaction to the Hyde Amendment being included in the $3.5 trillion budget resolution? I don't think I'm going to negotiate from here. The president's position on Hyde is well known, and we've stated many times publicly. I think we're going to move on. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joey. Go ahead, Joey. Go ahead. I think we're going to move on so we can get some more people. Go ahead. It doesn't help to scream over people. She's remarkably dismissive. The Hyde Amendment, we're talking about public funding, uh, you know, uh, tax dollars, uh, public funding for, for abortion. Well, you now have this party. Remember, it, Biden was a guy who was fine with the Hyde Amendment until his party said, oh, you're not fine with that. Because the absolute obsessive nature of abortion, not only to be okay with it legally, but to cheer it, to support it in every way. To, literally to the point where people are like, sing your abortion. One more dead baby. Woohoo! That's that don't don't look at me like I'm somehow being uh, um, hyperbolic. I'm quoting at this stage of the game the level of of viciousness on the subject. I will tell you as clear as day that I am a pro-life guy. I will also tell you as clear as day that abortion has never been my top subject. It fits in to my conversations. I don't, I, I'm not about to lie to you guys. I, I'll never do it. I won't lie to myself. I won't lie to others. My whole life got better when I stopped lying to myself. It is amazing. Literally the next day, everything got better. The very second I did that. Uh, to say that, the, the, you know, uh, these are the days where I was dealing with depression. I was suicidal. The day I stopped lying to myself, I can't say, you know, the depression was gone. I, I, don't, th- I don't think I could say that. Um, I can tell you that every, everything became easier. Life became more joyous. The second I stopped lying to myself, which meant I stopped lying to others. 
And it's not like I was out there just constantly lying. It's that I just wasn't clear with myself who I am. What are my interests? What is it that I'm about? What is it that I stand for? What am I willing to give up because of that? How do I ensure I look myself in the mirror every morning and every evening and say, I did the job today I needed to do, and I didn't compromise on it? I, I did things strategically. I did things uh, properly. I created a system. I created a plan. I went forward with a plan. I still do that to this day, and everything is better. Everything is better. So when I tell you that abortion is part of my conversations, but it's never my, my top conversation, right? It's just not what I lead with. That, that, those are, are the facts. I think there are other things to lead with. But to say that it's not important that you have a society that is cheering and singing abortions and that somehow we shouldn't note that, that is, that is a, a downtrodden society. That is a failed culture that says sing your abortion. It's, it's, it's not that it's gross. It is the signal of a level of a decay that cannot create a society of value. It can't do it. It is simply incapable. All those TikTokers who want to say, uh, scream your abortion, can't create a society of value. I put forth to you that they are the ones who are lying to themselves every single day. I feel for them. Because there is absolutely no way they're happy. If you want to make the argument that abortion should be legal and rare, you would at least be having a conversation that rational people could engage. That is a far cry from people who say, sing your abortion. But when the White House press secretary refuses to even discuss that, oh, no, you don't get to talk, you don't get to ask, I I dismiss you. While she's answering the question, it should be seen while she's answering the question, she's already looking on someone else to call on position on Hyde is well known and we've stated many times publicly. I think we're going to As she's saying and we've stated many times publicly, she's already looking for the next person. She's desperate to get off it. That's despicable. That is low rent and she is low rent. But as we learn from this one, she's also a fool. The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. They want their role to be in the international community. Holy crap. I mean, honestly, I should have given you a trigger warning. You could be driving right now. Bam, you're in a ditch. The Taliban cares about their their standing in, in the international community. Just like the Biden administration is all of a sudden worried about oil prices because every time gas prices go up a dollar per gallon or more, that is a tax on you, me, and we. That is the only way Americans look at it. The Biden administration is also surprised that the Taliban has moved so quickly to take over territory. What did you think was going to happen? This conversation came up, by the way, during the Trump years because Trump wanted to pull the U.S. forces out of Afghanistan. And this was the possibility. Why are you surprised by this? Why weren't you prepared for this? It was possible. 
As a matter of fact, it was probable. So what's what's so shocking? That it doesn't matter that you were there for 20 years. It doesn't matter how much money you put into training. The Afghans are not prepared to take on the Taliban. They're not. They're not. Afghanistan is not prepared to make itself any level of country of power that has an opportunity to thrive and grow. It's not. And we can't force it. It's time to grow up. We can't force it. Now, I am not saying that we should still have U.S. troops there. I take a different point of view and say we did an absolutely despicable, terrible, awful, horrible job in dealing with the enemy that is the Taliban. And we were going to sit down at the negotiating table with them last year, and I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's been 20 years, and you didn't get the job done. You might want to rethink the way you do the job. We ran in levels of counterinsurgency. We ran in trying to win hearts and minds going in there. What, what, what was our plan? If your plan isn't to eradicate the enemy until the enemy is dead, including everybody, including all their progeny, well, then you're not really there to do the job. So you got to go. And that means that uh, the Taliban is going to take over the country again and Al-Qaeda is going to regrow. Then that's what's it's, it's going to happen. That's why you have intelligence, you take them out when you can, and you do the best that you can. You're going to keep troops there forever? Terrible idea. Kill the enemy until the enemy is dead? Fine idea. We didn't do that. We didn't do that, and we're sure as heck not going to be doing that under Joe Biden. But that he's shocked and surprised? He's been in government for 40-some-odd years. He's supposed to be the, the expert on foreign relations. And Jen Psaki thinks the answer is, well, they're going to have to decide whether or not the international community likes them. They don't care. And only the fool thinks they would. Bad week for Biden and his team behind the microphone. I'm Tony Katz. So you know I'm a fan of cryptocurrency. Full disclosure, I own cryptocurrency. I don't necessarily say which ones. If I'm discussing it, I'll tell you. And and I own not enough to count of anything uh, that is of prominence or note. But I'm a believer. And there was just a hack of a, of a platform. And the platform actually had to beg to get the money back. And they got half the money back. And the hackers are like, yeah, we did it for fun. For you know what's in giggles. Oh, okay. Producer Ari, when I when I connected with him to do the show today, he's like, you know, uh, you can't hack cash. I did say that, and I am correct. Do you carry cash on you? No. Okay. <laughs> I carry a credit card. Yeah. All right. This this was a fun talk, producer Ari. Well, there's a story uh, of a guy who bought Bitcoin when it was trading at nine hundred. Nine hundred dollars. If remember now it's in the the mid 40s. And he it's Dutch, he's got a family of 5 and they've got the crypto in four vaults across in vaults I should say across four different continents. So he's got cold wallets and hot wallets. 
So you literally can take your 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 dollars out, your your Bitcoin out, whatever it is, your crypto's out, put it on a ledger and hold it. Utilize it at a later time as opposed to having a wallet that's online that could possibly get hacked. How much he has, uh, don't know. Absolutely don't know. Here's the part that I thought was amazing. Remember that Bitcoin has a finite number. There's a moment where there are no more Bitcoin to mine. There's just no more getting any Bitcoin. 11.8 million Bitcoin is in the hands of long-term investors. 3.2 million is circulating among traders. And there's 2.4 million that have not yet been mined. So for those of you doing the math, it means that 3.7 million Bitcoin has been lost. Sent to a wallet that you can't access. Forgotten about. Someone forgot their passcode and they can't get to it. It's gone. And I think that blows people's minds. How is it gone? It's there somewhere. Well, if you could figure out how to find it, it could be yours. You can return it to whoever owns it, etc. But I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that in the world of blockchain. The, the whole purpose is that it disappears. You know, someone could be sending Bitcoin from one wallet to another, like one person to another, and get the address wrong and could end up in your wallet. You'll be like, what in the world is this? What, what, what is that? That is possible. It is, while fascinating, also to some levels precarious for people. Now, I don't think it's any different than your check getting lost in the mail. But if you're talking about Bitcoin at 46000 and you're going to transfer 10 Bitcoin, that's $460,000. Might be a little bit more than the check your Mima sent you for your birthday. Which I believe the going rate right now is $25. The going birthday check rate is $25. Am I right about that or am I wrong about that? I think, I think I've got that covered. But I think this family is amazing. He's got the money in vaults around the globe. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. He will not say how much they, they've got. A lot. Do you know how much a lot is? If you have in four separate vaults around the world, it's not a little. So wouldn't the question be how many billions? Oh, without question. God bless. God bless. Why not? Why not? I'm investing right now in Ari coin. Oh, wait. It's already collapsed. Not surprising. TK coin is coming. This is Tony Katz today. Jeopardy has announced its new hosts, plural, Mike Richards and Mayim Bialik. Blossom herself, Tony Katz, Tony Katz, today, I didn't try out for the gig. Game show host, I want to be. Let me tell you, I would give up everything to be a game show host. Would love to be a game show host. It would never be Jeopardy. Jeopardy is not for me. Uh, match game? Hollywood Squares. Those would be my game shows. Uh, to tell the truth, go old school. 
That would be fantastic. It, it wouldn't be Jeopardy. It's just not enough, not enough leeway in in the in the opportunity. Well, Alex Trebek passes away. They're looking for a host. Everybody and their mother does this. LeVar Burton is actively, you know, going out for the gig. Aaron Rodgers wanted the gig. Quarterback for the Packers. We'll see for how long. No, they give it to Mike Richards. Not the guy from Seinfeld. That's Michael Richards. He's, trust me, he's not getting the gig. Mike Richards is the executive producer of Jeopardy. He's also been a game show host in his own right. I don't know much about the dude. Nobody does. But let me tell you, when they picked him, people went absolutely crazy. They went bananas. It's a bad pick. This is terrible. Why not LeVar Burton? All these other things. I think that Michael, that Mike Richards allows them to kind of mold somebody. You don't know much about him. Everybody else comes with a story. Mike Richards comes with well, whatever Jeopardy wants him to have. So he's going to host the show. Then they're going to have primetime specials, spinoffs, college championship. That's going to be hosted by Maya Bialik. Now, Maya Bialik is an actress, Big Bang Theory, Blossom. I talk about that. Uh, neuroscientist. Smart. Maya Bialik may very well have the answers. She's smart. She's engaging. She's done much w- w- with her life. Uh, I think people do like her, and I think she's going to do a great job on this one. I think she's going to do an absolutely fantastic job on this. Did I ever tell my my Mayambialic story? My one Hollywood story? Did I never tell if you listen to Eat Drink Smoke, my cigar and bourbon show, I tell the story. I tell the story. You'll hear it uh, this weekend. So I'm I, I'm this is the tease. This is the tease to be listening for it. Uh, you can listen to it on WIBC from 3 to 5 p.m. on Saturday. You can go to EatDrinkSmokeShow.com, subscribe to the podcast. My Mayambialic story, my one Hollywood story, right there uh, on Eat, Drink, Smoke. Uh, do I think that people are going to not watch Jeopardy because of this? No. Do I think they're going to watch Jeopardy because of it? Not necessarily. They're going to have a host. No one likes anything that's new. They'll get used to it as things go on, and that's all there is. That's usually the way these things go. I wanted to get into this story I shared this morning about my disappointment in the Secretary of the Navy and this letter that was sent out from the Secretary to those underneath them about what it is the U.S. Navy is facing. It's important. The Secretary of the Navy, by the way, is Carlos Del Toro. I don't know much about Carlos Del Toro. I, 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 I wasn't, I'm not as familiar with him. You should know that he was born in Cuba. Immigrated to the United States with his family as a refugee in 1962. Public schools, appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy, a Bachelor of Science degree in Electrical Engineering. Commissioned as a surface warfare officer upon his graduation in 1983. That's the kind of story that only in America. Only in America does a kid whose family came from Cuba end up as Secretary of the Navy. It makes his letter, to me, more bothersome. And I want to share the letter in, in part 
where he talks about uh, the most sacred duty is defending the nation and working to build a more a world more defined by peace than conflict. Uh, it's right there where it started. I, I, with all due respect to the secretary, I believe that your duty is defending the nation and not necessarily building a world more defined by peace than conflict. You can't control what other people do. But he states that the Navy and our nation face critical challenges on multiple fronts. And like Secretary Austin, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, I view our most pressing challenges as the four C's. China, culture, climate, and COVID, and we need the resources and capabilities to address each now. Now, before I get into this, like I I did this morning, I want to break down a little bit more of what he said. China, says the Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, China is determined to reduce our military superiority. We will not let this happen. We will deter China's aggression, protect our national security, and preserve the peace. Our determination, our skill, and our courage will demonstrate our strength and conviction. Culture comes down to one goal. Every sailor and marine of all races, genders, religions, and ethnicities must treat one another with dignity and respect. This is not just about doing the right thing. It is about ensuring our Navy and Marine Corps will be the most talented, most combat-ready, most committed force possible. Climate change exacerbates every challenge we face, says the Secretary, from naval installations to frequent deployments. It is also a global struggle for resources that demand ingenuity and innovation. It demands solutions that mitigate climate change damage or climate damage while ensuring our operational success and competitive edge. Lastly, he writes, we must combat COVID. This means we must continue to vaccinate our naval forces with expedience. If we are not vaccinated, we are neither deployable nor combat ready. Immediately, the Navy and Marine Corps will make every effort to vaccinate and care for our force and defeat the scourge COVID has inflicted on our troops. Now, one could argue that yes, You need to have troops that are ready to go. And if the troops are ready to go, that's better for all of us. I can't tell you that means forced vaccination. At all and in any way. And some troops are going to have the right to say, yeah, that's not something I'm going to go for. Now, I actually don't know whether or not they can. I don't know if they can actually say no when they're in the military, but we'll find out. But when I read this, these four things, I, I, I am forced to say the only thing that matters is China. I won't even, with any level of seriousness, respond to the idea that climate change exacerbates every challenge we face. No, it does not. The conversation of climate change forces us to have conversations that China isn't willing to have, doesn't care about, and loves that we get wrapped up in because it takes our time and our treasure. The idea that the U.S. military is focused on climate change is taking the eye off the prize, off the ball, that is most important to keep an eye on. It is a mistake, a failure in the chain of command at the highest levels that will hurt, damage, and yes, kill those who do the fighting. It is a mistake. I don't want to be told I'm making any level of of you know anybody's going to question where i am on this subject i don't want to be told that i'm i'm being a little wishy-washy on the subject i am disgusted by this very commentary china pays no attention to climate change 
They will pour all the oil they have into the South China Sea if they thought it could gain them one more dollar or one more percentage of advantage against the United States and the world in their desire for worldwide hegemony. The level of pollution in China is through the roof, and they don't care how much they pollute to create one more aircraft carrier. They don't care. They don't care how much jet fuel they burn off learning how to land planes on ships while both are moving at night, which is, for the record, incredibly difficult to do. China does not yet have that technology that we know of. China, remember, China can steal. China's just not good at building and doing. They're not. They can steal and they can replicate. But doing on their own, very, very difficult for China. Climate change does not exacerbate every challenge we face. Climate change keeps us from looking at the challenges. When it comes to culture, every sailor and marine, writes Secretary Del Toro, of all races, genders, religions, and ethnicities, must treat one another with dignity and respect. Are you telling me that wasn't happening? Because it is my assumption, as a man who has never served... I love it when they tell me, oh, you never served. You don't get, you don't get to say. The, the hell I don't. It's a civilian-run military. And at the time, I wouldn't have had the head to serve. I wouldn't have known how to serve. I wouldn't have been connected and capable of serving. Now, I think I offer something to the party. And I'm going to damn well offer it. So for the people who say you never served, you don't get to talk. <laughs> My microphone. Try me. Stop me. No, no, go on. I dare you. Oh, look, I'm still talking. I'm still talking. Good, glad we got that squared away. It is my take in the military that it doesn't matter if you hate the person next to you. You have to depend on the person next to you to save your life when the moment calls for it. I know we utilize the term and others utilize the term brothers and sisters in arms. I don't know if people actually feel that way in the military. I do know that if they're going into some kind of battle, they actually have to depend on the person next to them, which is why things like desertion are looked upon with unfavor. They don't care if the person next to them is black or white. What they care about is can they get the job done and can they save my ass and will I save theirs? Because yes, I will. I'll do what I can. I'll do everything within my power. I will put myself on the line. That's because they wear the same uniform. It's the uniform that matters. If you want to start moving social justice into our military, you are going to destroy our military because the military doesn't work under a code of social justice. That's left for the woke folk out there who never once have to put their lives on the line. The Uniform Code of Military Justice is just that. It's a code. And that code transcends the skin color. And it transcends where you came from. The man who escaped the hellscape of Cuba to rise to be the Secretary of the Navy doesn't know this? Or, or is bought into this, this culture take? I have no arguments with respect. I have a serious argument. 
with saying that somehow we got to play footsie. We got to play nice. We got to dip our toes into the social justice water. This is why people were so upset with the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Millie, about critical race theory. There's nothing wrong with studying critical race theory. There's something wrong with teaching critical race theory. Which brings us to the China conversation, the thing that I think that uh, Secretary Del Toro got correct. China's the enemy. We will deter China's aggression, protect our national security, and preserve the peace. I hope you understand that involves punching China directly in the throat till they fall down. It's what it involves. There's no other way to describe it, to discuss it, to say it. This is what it involves. Our determination, our skill, and our courage will demonstrate our strength and conviction. Hell yes, you're also going to need dollars. And this is where the Secretary of the Navy has to be saying out loud, we cannot put our dollars to wokeness. We have to put our dollars to warships. We do not have the Navy we need in order to achieve success and victory over the Chinese. And the only success is victory. China literally surrendering. That can only be done with the Navy. The U.S. Navy is more important than ever, ever, ever before. Not millions, but billions of dollars need to be put into the U.S. Navy. The ships that are in dry dock and in repair need to be fixed and back out on the seas. We need more carriers in terms of technology to build out better carriers for today's world. Never mind warships, never mind destroyers, never mind whatever else it is that, that you know, the, these, these uh, amphibious co- uh, combat vessels... China is the enemy. You're absolutely correct. But the dollars you're willing to spend on wokeness has to be spent on warships. Has to be spent on knowing how to control those seas, protect those seas, and destroy the enemy when necessary. I want the U.S. military to succeed, and I want the U.S. Navy to succeed. It just has to have a better level of focus. I'm Tony Katz. You know, I was talking about uh, the, the Navy and, and what a time to blank on uh, the, the types of, uh, of of warships that are out there. So now I'm going through types and classes of military warships. I take this stuff seriously, guys. I want to make sure I'm always providing you uh, the very best. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. We're also keeping our eye on this IMPD officer, Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department officer, who was shot. Uh, It was a call to an apartment complex. He's checking the perimeter. He gets shot. The suspect is believed to have uh, taken his own life. Uh, The officer, at last check, was in stable condition. Um, Along with the officer, a woman and a a child were shot. It's the the fourth child shot in the last week or last month. It's madness. And, of course, the mayor, Joe Hogsett, we must do everything we can to stop the scourge of gun violence, deploying, you know, deploying resources and uniting neighbors to halt this vicious cycle. This continuing gun violence nonsense conversation. It's, it's the mayor of Indianapolis being anti-Second Amendment again. That's all he does. All he does. It's 
It's ridiculous. The issue here is not gun violence. The issue here is why were the police called to this home and why was this man shot? The 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 suspect decided to shoot the officer, right? Was it one of these ambush calls? Was it something else? What is the what are the underpinnings that are leading people to commit these acts of violence? And since we've seen them do it with a knife and you don't call it knife violence, clearly you don't mean gun violence. It's an anti-gun rhetoric. And it's just cheap and low rent. I don't think I'm not saying I expect anything else from Mayor Hogsett based on his record. I just can't simply allow that to go by. We hope for the wellness and safety of the officer. We'll have more on this. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Go to TonyKatz.com and get the rest. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.